Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, November 28th, 2022. I'm Lou DeVizio. I hope everyone had a great holiday weekend. As Gene put in in his final thoughts last week, it is a complicated holiday that represents a lot of different things for a lot of different people. We have to respect that. Some of those things are positive and some are decidedly not. This week on the episode, I've chosen several recent interviews celebrating and elevating indigenous culture. Now, whatever your approach to Thanksgiving, I hope that you were able to get some time away from work and spend it with family or someone that you care about. Also, if you missed it, Our Land senior producer Laura Paskus and our production team put together a beautiful piece on Albuquerque's Bosque during this time of year. The video that our team gathered is absolutely gorgeous. Shots of porcupines perched in trees, sandhill cranes gathering in the water, coyotes roaming through the woods, and crows settling in the trees surrounding the river. I've been out to the Bosque every weekend since I watched the piece, so if you want something to inspire some passion for nature, Laura's piece is it. You can find it on the New Mexico in Focus YouTube page if you haven't seen it already. Also, I want to give a special shout out to one of our former production team members, Kevin Maestas, who edited the piece. He's done a tremendous job for us for years, but he's moving on to a new opportunity, and I just wanted to wish him all of the best. Now, let's get to the headlines impacting New Mexicans. Bernalillo County Sheriff's deputies have confirmed a municipal judge in the village of Los Ranchos has been shot and killed by her husband before he killed himself. Deputies found the bodies of 65-year-old Diane Albert and 63-year-old Eric Pinkerton, several dogs, and a cat Friday at their home. A sheriff's department spokesperson says Pinkerton apparently shot and killed all of them before taking his own life. A friend of the couple contacted the sheriff's office sometime before 4 p.m. on Friday after receiving what she called a troubling message from Pinkerton. In the message, she said that he confessed to murdering his wife and dogs and told her that he was going to kill himself. Diane Albert was a municipal judge for the village of Los Ranchos, which borders Albuquerque. She was also a former planning and zoning commissioner in the North Valley. Albert had also served as the Los Alamos County Commissioner and president of the Bike Coalition of New Mexico. That's according to reporting from the Albuquerque Journal. A newly mined disposal area is now in use at the nation's only underground nuclear waste repository in southern New Mexico. Officials at the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant made the announcement last week. The Associated Press reports the first containers of waste entombed in the new area came from Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee. That's just one of the many labs and government sites across the country that send nuclear waste to the plant. The isolation pilot plant is located outside of Carlsbad and received its first shipment in 1999. The thinking at the time was that shifting of the salt in that area would eventually entomb the radioactive waste. A fire and radiation release in 2014 forced the repository to close for nearly three years and forced an overhaul of policies and procedures that govern nuclear storage. Once it reopened, operations had to be reduced because of contamination and airflow issues. A multi-million dollar project is now underway to install a new ventilation system. The State Environment Department's Hazardous Waste Bureau says the public will have opportunities to comment on the modifications or permit renewal applications. The New Mexico Supreme Court is being asked to reconsider its decision that lets the state's largest electrical utility, PNM, delay issuing rate credits tied to the closure of the coal-fired San Juan generating station. The state attorney general and consumer advocates filed motions last week. They say delaying economic relief to consumers for the closure in September undermines New Mexico law. 
Regulators in June had ordered PNM to issue credits since customers would no longer benefit from the San Juan plant. The utility challenged the regulatory order and requested a stay, which the court granted earlier this month. In its recent motion, the group New Energy Economy contends that PNM is violating the most fundamental principle of utility regulation, that a utility cannot collect money from ratepayers for assets that are not providing service. The state attorney general and consumer advocates filed motions last week. A crew of NASA astronauts is nearly two months into a six-month mission on the International Space Station. NASA's SpaceX-5 launched October 5th, and on board was the first ever Native American woman to travel to space. Nicole Mann is crew commander of the SpaceX-5 mission. New Mexico and Focus correspondent Antonia Gonzalez caught up with her before she took off. How excited are you about this? This is going to be your first time, right? This will be my first time to space, yes. I joined NASA back in 2013, and so I've been training ever since. We've been training specifically for this mission for the past year, and we are ready to go, ready to launch. And what is your role going to be? So I'm the commander of the spacecraft. So I will fly uh, myself and three other crewmates. We will launch from Kennedy Space Center in a Dragon spacecraft, which is built by SpaceX. And we will take a day or so to get to the International Space Station, and we'll stay on board for about six months to execute our mission. Our spacecraft will stay attached that entire time. Then at the end of the mission, we'll come back home and we'll splash down off the coast of Florida. And what are some of the key parts of the mission? Um, Is there something that is going to be studied or looked at or what's going to happen during the six months? During the six months on board, we have about 250 scientific experiments that we will be able to partake in and execute for the principal investigator on the ground. Uh, And some of those are technology demonstration to help us in further human exploration. A lot of them are scientific investigations and research to benefit humans back on Earth, though. So because the space station is in microgravity, there's a lot of things that we can do that you simply can't do on Earth. So one of my favorite that I'm excited to participate in is this uh, biofabrication facility. And we're actually growing human cells on the space station. So they've already grown a partial meniscus and some heart cells. And this like, 3D printing of cells is difficult to do on Earth because of the gravity. But in space, they're discovering that they can create better, um, stronger, more intact cells. And so hopefully I'll be a part of that effort. And um, as a Native person, we know that there are some Native people who have chosen and have worked for NASA before in the past. Um, so what does that mean to you? Um, to me, it's really important. I think your, your background and your heritage is an important part of who you are and your family and the community that brought you up. And so I think it's important also then to share with our communities what the amazing things that all of our, the people uh, that, you know, that we grew up with are, are executing and what they're doing. And so hopefully there's some young Native kids that are looking and see what amazing things, what amazing opportunities that they have in front of them. And I mean, a lot of those barriers that used to exist are really being broken down. And so I think that's some good messaging that we really want to communicate specifically to the younger generation. And especially when it comes to getting um, 
girls and women involved. And there are programs across the country and in Indian country that encourage um, young girls to get interested in STEM. Oh, why is that so important? I think that's important because I think there's many young girls that grow up not realizing that these are options for them. You know, for example, growing up in Northern California, I was interested in math and science and I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to go to space one day, but the thought of being an astronaut honestly never crossed my mind because I never saw anybody that that was from, you know, my background or my area that had done something like that. And so I think really just communicating those opportunities and then if people are interested, then we need to help them. We need to have a program. We need to have teachers and mentors that are there to, to kind of shepherd them along the way. It's important to have that support. And so when you get home after the mission um, and you know, looking forward to being up there for six months, what are you gonna do when you get back? And what do you, you know, what what can we see in the future from you? Uh, so I'm, when I get back, I think I'll be excited just to be outside and feel the wind on my face and the sun. Uh, that will be something I will definitely miss. There'll be a period of time to uh, rehabilitate back to 1G. It can be a little tough on your body, so I'll do that. And then I'll look on to the, the next mission. I'll be able to support current missions on the International Space Station. Uh, we will have flown, hopefully, Artemis 1 back to the moon by then. And so we'll be looking at future opportunities, whether that be in low earth orbit or maybe something on the moon. I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. And so I'm looking forward to all of those. And where can people follow? Where can they watch? And especially I'm sure, uh, you know, people tuning in from across Indian country um, are gonna wanna follow you on this mission. Absolutely. I think NASA.gov is the easiest way to follow. Uh, NASA is also on Facebook and Insta and TikTok. And so for the young social media crowd, there's a lot of ways to, to reach out and engage with uh, the space program and all the really cool things that we're doing in space. And, and hopefully we'll have some young engineers or astronauts out there that, uh, that will help us in the future. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nicole Mann. Um, Good luck and best wishes to you. Thank you, I appreciate it. A new novel released in September gives a unique perspective on the Southwest and native culture. Shudder is a crime thriller with a touch of supernatural horror and a coming of age story. The book follows a young woman from the Navajo Nation who becomes a forensic photographer working for Albuquerque police, but she's hiding a secret. She can see ghosts. Correspondent Antonia Gonzalez sits down with Dine writer and filmmaker Ramona Emerson to talk about her debut book. Ramona, welcome to New Mexico in Focus. Thank you, Antonia. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you're already well known for your filmmaking. <laughs> now here we have an acclaimed debut novel, Shudder, different form of storytelling for you. How did this book come about? Well, <laughs> I don't even, I couldn't, five years ago, I would have told you, I don't know, even know if I could make it happen. I've never thought of myself as a fiction writer. Uh, I mean, even the beginning of that particular book started out as a documentary idea. I thought maybe I would like to do a documentary about Navajos who deal with death in their jobs. People like police officers, doctors, pathologists, scientists, and, you know, talk about what is ingrained, what it, how is death so 
um, foreboding for Navajo people and why do we have our beliefs and so I started doing research on that but in the process of doing that I realized that um, I don't know if it would make a great documentary not a lot of people wanted to talk to me about that you know so um, it kind of put a squash on that but at the same time I started to think about my own life working as a forensic videographer here in Albuquerque and how that would make an interesting story um, so I kind of did an introspective and started to think, well, maybe other people don't want to talk about it, but I can talk about it. I dealt with it for 16 years, um, and then it started. It was a very long 10 years of writing in between film projects and in between parenting and all the craziness of life. Um, so it took me 10 years to finish it, um, but I... I'm really happy with where it ended up. So how much of your life, I mean, you're from the Navajo Nation. <laughs> uh, I really connected with the grandmother in the story. I mean, I was really close with my Navajo grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, so how much of it are people going to find that you put in with your own life experiences? Well, I think almost all of the stuff with the grandma um, and the character um, comes from things that my grandma and myself did. I mean, I grew up with my grandma a good portion of my childhood and you know those are real things that we experienced and things that she would talk to me about and um, you know I, I think pretty much all of that is as part of me um, I may have embellished here and there but um, those are my memories and um, growing up in Tohatchi I really wanted to make Tohatchi a character of the book um, because that's my hometown and you know and and it's really important for me to uh, showcase it and and um, you know talk about it the way I always remember it and some of it's taken from my own experiences working with as a forensic videographer um, and just thinking about how my work impacted like my emotions and how um, I would think about people who I filmed for legal reasons um, for years for months I mean their their stories and their lives would impact me deeply and I kind of used those emotions and gave them to Rita um, in a different way. Of course, I don't see, I didn't see ghosts and I didn't communicate with ghosts while I was working forensics. That would have probably made it a little easier, um, but um, I was able to use my emotions that I had working those cases and give them to Rita as kind of a, a supernatural um, power instead because they evoke the same emotions in her um, and she would think about their families and who they left behind. And that's what motivates you to do that kind of work. And to add to that, it is, you know, a crime and supernatural aspects of this book. And we know there are a lot of taboos out there yeah. in tribes across the country, just not Navajo Nation, but a lot of tribes. So how did you approach that? Are you worried or were you worried about any backlash or any criticism? I am worried. <laughs> and I have to say, when I was in the process of writing it, I, I would often say, oh, geez, <laughs> are you going to write that? Are you going to put that in? What would your grandma say? You know, I mean, I, I had those internal di dialogues with myself. Um, how are Navajos going to take this story? Um, and I, I realized that, I, well, I did a lot of uh, research about death and about how Navajos came to this um, pinnacle of being so afraid of death that you don't even talk about it. It's not something that's even supposed to be a part of your life. And I began to realize that looking at other cultures and looking at other um, rituals around the world, 
um, in doing deep research about all these different, how different people believe and how different people think about it, I kind of felt that the, the Diné are real um, anchored to the Spanish flu. And I think the Spanish flu epidemic really had a huge impact on how Navajos feel about death and their fear of it. Um, because before that, the research really doesn't show that. It's like they're moving on to the next world. It's a rebirth. And then at some point, it turns into this evil monster. And for me, I felt like this is a good time to have these discussions. Instead of hiding from them, we need to face them. And I think that a lot of people, like the, the Navajo Nation Human Rights Commission, are even starting to talk about traditional funeral practices and about how we deal with death. And so I think even in mainstream academia, we're starting to really think about that and, and wonder if um, there's a different way to approach things. And so I thought that it would be a good opening for dialogue. But at the same time, I also thought, well, you know, for the last, for decades, um, Diné have been reading Tony Hillerman and he talks all kinds of spooky stuff that I would never put in a book, never. Um, and they read those books so reading something like this that I know I didn't put any sensitive knowledge in because I know better that they should be fine reading this book. And if we want to have a discussion about death and we want to talk about those taboos, now's the time to do it. We know there are not a lot of non-native writers out there who mm -hmm. are writing about the Navajo Nation, who are yeah. writing about other tribes across the country. So what does it mean for you as an indigenous person, as a woman, to be sharing and telling a story through this book, um, something that we understand and we know, you know, what the do's and don'ts of. Well, I think it's really, I think it really illustrates the importance of having somebody from a community represent that community and tell that story. Um, because not only do you get falsehoods in, in stories written about people or written about us from people outside of our communities, I think there's a lot of falsehoods. I think there's a lot of chance for um, you know, romanticizing our, our way of life. Um, there's a lot of time, uh, a lot of chance to stereotype us. And that continues to happen. And, and it always boggles the mind to me. I never tell stories outside of my community because, I mean, even if I was going to tell a story about a Pueblo community, I make sure that they have exhausted every resource to find somebody from their own community to do that. And if I'm they don't find somebody, at least we can include some young people as part of the project, so they're in development. There will be somebody who can take over these stories after you know I'm gone. Um, but that's really important to me. Even through my film work, it's always been a real um, thorn to me to find people who continue to make these stories and continue to get funded to tell our stories when our own indigenous filmmakers are struggling um, to make ends meet, are struggling to have their projects financed. So for me, it's a big stick. <laughs> so writing a book like this, I think really shows that deep understanding of cultural taboo, the deep understanding of what stories you tell, what stories you have the right to tell, what stories that you should be telling. There are some stories that you should not be telling. And a lot of those people who don't come from our communities are telling that stories when they shouldn't. And you know, I can't stop that from happening. People are going to do what they do. Um, but the trick is to have these discussions so that people understand why it's wrong. People understand why you don't tell that story. Out of respect, out of traditional belief, you don't tell that story or you only tell that story uh, during a certain part of the year. 
You know, people don't understand that because they don't come from our communities. So it's really important to educate these people. Thank you, Antonia. On our final segment on the podcast this week, we hear from the newly crowned Miss Indian New Mexico. Alicia Corris is already bringing her message of community engagement to young people around the state, trying to inspire them to action. Here's Antonia. Miss Indian New Mexico, welcome to New Mexico in Focus. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation, Antonia. It means a lot. It's, you know, nice to see you in community. We've had a lot of different encounters in all of my different hats that I wear, so I'm glad to see you in a new hat. <laughs> well, please introduce yourself. Hello, my, or, let's see, let's go traditional. Go at see, I'm at all hope, Alicia Christmas, Gio Mesota, Schultz and Hanna Bokowitz, Hin L, Miss Indian New Mexico 54 for 2022 to 2023. Hello, my name is Alicia Carice. I am from the Pueblo of Santo Domingo, and I am your Miss Indian New Mexico 54 for the 2022 to 2023 year. And uh, you just recently were crowned with this title. You're an ambassador for Native women, um, a role model for Native youth. Tell me a little bit about your role. Yes, it is such an amazing experience so far. We've been a month in, a little bit over a month. And, you know, just really understanding that I am a public servant to not only our 23 tribal nations in the state of New Mexico, but for the state as a whole, as well as un understanding that this title is a pillar of hope for all of our communities. And it's also a, another space for me to, you know, utilize this platform to call forth and inspire others to, you know, continue to be the solutions to their community's needs. And what was your platform when you were running? My platform has always and will be uh, empowerment through community building. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we get our, our community people together to, you know, have conversations and connect with one another and continue to build a deeper understanding of the issues and the impacts that, you know, the challenges that we face. This is a time where we're able to meet and con continue to build community together. And that's all part of how we honor ourselves through kinship, through community, and as well as when we find that connection, we feel that we have the support system. We are building that system in order for us to feel empowered, to have a voice, and continue to regroup as, as a community and find the solutions and be the solutions. And your role is not only just visiting tribal communities and going to tribal events, that's definitely a big part of sharing Native culture, but also just to the general public. So why is that important to share Native culture with the general public and to also let them know that, you know, Native people are here, still here, and living cultures? Yes, it definitely is uh, such a great way for us to educate one another. And that can also go back to my platform is building community with the shared understanding and education. That's when we can truly relate to one another and find the similarities between ourselves and other communities to build solidarity. So when we work on educating our general public and understanding the unique traits amongst our Pueblo people, the Navajo Nation, and our Apache tribes, as well as honoring the, the relationship that we have with our Ute relatives to the north, 
it all connects back. It all connects to we are still all citizens of this great country that we call home and that we can continue to you know, uplift each other because we all have resources that we need and there's always an, a great opportunity for us to skill share and build community. And November uh, celebrates Indigenous people with Native American Heritage Month. Um, tribal communities across the country celebrate um, our resilience all the time, not just during one month. But what are some of the highlights um, that you've been able to have so far? Yes, and so, you know, with November being uh, an, a month that is able to highlight our accomplishments and our achievements through you know, since we have been here since time immemorial, it definitely is a way for us to bring to light the achievements and the wins and celebrate ourselves and also to continue to uplift the needs that we have, the issues that we may be facing that we that we need help with. This is a time where we can, you know, call for that action and as well as to, you know, honor the truth of our our existence here in, in what we call the United States of America, and as well as in uh, what, the land that we call New Mexico as well. And honoring the, you know, making space for our indigenous peoples to have a lens um, on them. And we also recognize that it is, you know, a time where a lot of pressure is on our native peoples to show up and continue, um, you know, to build the awareness and the education around our issues. But it's also a time for us to celebrate with one another and um, continue to uplift each other. As well as, you know, some of the events that I've been a part of is, you know, of course, on November 1st, myself as a Pueblo uh, person, this is a time where we honor our ancestors. So this was, you know, a great way to, um, you know, a grounding way for us to start with, you know, celebrating our indigeneity and our heritage and the cultures that we come from because we carry that wherever we go in whatever spaces we are, you know, whether it is as an ambassador as myself or whether we're in, you know, boardrooms or continuing to show up in different ways. We carry our upbringing, we carry our values, our language, our knowledge, and that will never change. And it's always another way for us to become resilient because we're carrying that with us. And you talked a little bit about challenges. There are a lot of challenges facing young Native people today, including when it comes to education. There's still, you know, poor graduation rates from high school, um, but you are interested in education as well and higher education. Why is that important for Native youth to finish high school and also uh, maybe even pursue higher education? Yes, uh, you know, I think that, you know, education is always a lifelong um, journey for all of us because we're always learning, you know, whether we are aware of it or not, we are taught different lessons from different people that, engage, that come into our lives. And as well as understanding that we have an education um, because or we have um, <clears throat> our public education that helps us to, you know, continue to be contributing members of the society. And that, you know, also comes into how do we become a contributing community member, not only in, you know, the Western society or the, um, yeah, the Western society, but also to, you know, understand what it means to be a contributing member in our own tribal communities. With education, it definitely is, you know, giving that level playing field and giving all of our people a chance to learn and um, contribute in a beneficial way. <clears throat> 
then that looks, whether that's going to a higher education institution such as college or a uh, technical school, we honor all the journeys that education, uh, what education looks like for our people. And that's always another way of us to continue to develop ourselves because we are always ever changing, ever growing. And that's the way that we can be elders in training. That's the way, that's the way we, to go. I like that, elders in training. <laughs> well, um, as a young person, you've, you're a longtime youth leader and you have been locally and statewide. You've served as statewide and beyond um, as a youth leader. So why is youth leadership important? Uh, do you see that older generations are now embracing younger voices? Yes, I think that, um, you know, reflecting on my journeys and uh, the relationship that we have, Antonia, you know, with myself uh, working with the All Public Council of Governors Youth Committee, which I am the chair of, and also being a co-founder and member of the New Mexico State Indigenous Youth Council. And, you know, this is al always like a great catalyst for change is the inclusion of our young people um, and their voices and their needs or their initiatives, if you will. And, you know, being part of the conversation too, because as we're navigating the change-making and decision-making process, this is a time where, you know, it not only affects our community members today, but this is beginning to make the changes for our, our future generations and for those that are going to be living in the society that we're creating now. So this is definitely a way for us to be informed. That would have to be the important part of this whole, you know, the whole inclusion is educating each other about what is going on in our state, being uh, civically engaged on the issues and how, how do we all play a role in this? You know, not only with us being part of a tribal, tribal nation, if um, not only us being part of a tribal nation, it's also how do we recognize our relationship with the state and how do we recognize that further relationship with our federal government? because we're all intertwined in this. And if we don't utilize our voice now, we are not being able to voice the needs and creating the world that we wanna see and the beneficial change that is much needed. And were there recommendations that came out of the Youth Council that went directly to the governor and the state legislature? Oh, yes. As part of our Indigenous Youth Council, the, the main focus of our work was to call out the inequities that we saw during the pandemic, as well as um, honoring the holistic wellness journey that's needed in order for our communities to heal. So with that, we were able to continue to create uh, a report and recommendations from our Youth Wellness Summit that was uh, held with including all of the voices from our tribal nations throughout the state. And so this was a time for us to, you know, gather all of the voices and the needs from our young people from, you know, all the way down that are still in high school into how are we engaging our college and adult community members as we navigate towards being um, you know, fully, <laughs> I guess, young adult community members and engaging them as they make their journey to being full adult community members. And so how long is your uh, reign as Miss Indian New Mexico? Is it a year? Yes, it will be a year. So I was crowned on September 24th of 2022. And so I have a year. So now we're counting down and, um, you know, just still continuing to put forth the ideas that I have and 
Uh, for me personally, I see this as a way of healing our communities and bringing that spirit of, um, of relationship building and kinship in our communities and, you know, bringing that, um, bringing back positivity and love and joy back into our communities, especially after healing, um, healing after the, the COVID-19 pandemic, which is still ongoing. Uh, but it's important for us to continue to push forward. That's part of the, the resiliency that we are looked to and celebrated for. And also doing that in a safe manner because we recognize that we have to protect all of our community members, especially our elders, because we saw, you know, unfortunately th throughout our communities, we saw the loss of that, of our, you know, our knowledge keepers. And this is our time for us to, you know, go and connect with them and, you know, continue to hold that so that we may pass it down to uh, the future generation as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today on New Mexico PBS and happy National Native American Heritage Month. Yes, thank you, Antonia. It means a lot and definitely continue to, um, you know, hold space and continue to honor and carry your culture in whatever spaces you may be in because that is who we are as indigenous peoples and that's what we continue to carry throughout not only the month of november but throughout our lives and how we engage with people each and every day so thank you Thank you, Antonia, for all of those interviews. And of course, thank you for listening to the podcast this week. It is the holiday season and episodes may get a bit more sporadic before the end of the year. I'm still planning on getting an episode out every Monday, but like last week, that might not always be possible. So please don't forget about us. In a few weeks, we're going to have a special focus on this podcast on the 2023 legislative session with coverage that you will not find anywhere else. Also, please check out our show Friday nights at 7 o'clock on New Mexico PBS. If that doesn't work for you, we always repost it on our YouTube channel so you can watch it there too. Individual segments are posted there too so you can watch a little bit at a time. Whatever works for you. Also, please keep an eye on our social media pages. That's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates throughout the week and for previews leading up to our show on Friday nights. Thanks again. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio for Monday, November 28th. 2022. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.